cliffcentral.com. And we're going to cross to JJ Cornish now, I'm very happy to say. Jean-Jacques Cornish is a regular on our show. He comes to us every couple of days to give us an update on what's going on on the African continent. JJ, it's nice to see you this morning, and it's um, not as if we don't have a lot to discuss today. So um, first of all, can we talk about Mozambique, please? Because a lot of... A lot of people, including Sia, have suddenly become very anxious. Mozambique is right next door to us. And although Al-Shabaab used to be something we worried about in Kenya and Tanzania, and then later on the north of Mozambique, they're getting further and further south. And we need to know what's happening here because South Africans are even being killed. Hotels are being raided. And uh, it seems that, oh. that that wave of violence is heading further and further south, could be on our border at any time. Well, look to you, guys. You know, I've been... Gareth, I've been listening to you for a little while now. There was this new system I can I can eavesdrop for a little while, and I just <laughs> wanted to say I wanted to put a poster up saying, "Keep calm and eat gorgonzola." <laughs> that would uh, cover the last little bit. Mozambique is uh, grown-up trouble for us. You know, we can't go in alone. We said it before. We we couldn't, as South African soldiers, go in just about anywhere hmm. because we're in no state to to do it. We have to have a collective uh, uh, operation there. Now, the uh, ISIS uh, or al-Shabaab, or the, in fact, the jihadi terrorists have been operating there since 2017 right. in one of the richest gas reserves in the world. Now, Total, the French company that is exploiting that, said a little while ago that they were uh, holding up on that because of this terrorism, 150, I mean, 15 hundred people have been killed. You know, these guys started with uh, machetes, beheading people. Uh, and they, that was because they believed they were being marginalized. The fact is they're now very well armed and uh, assisted by other terrorist groups, jihadi terrorist groups from around the world. We understand that there are as many as 12 South Africans fighting with the terrorists. Now, up there, Palma is the town that serves uh, on the very northern border of Mozambique, a terribly long country, you know, mm -hmm. long like Chile, all the way up the coast. Right. And uh, they, they were, uh, it serves that part of the, of the, the gas exploitation uh, field, but nothing has come out yet to uh, enrich the Mozambicans, which is, of course, one of the poorest countries on the planet. Absolutely. Now, until they until they can do that, uh, the the exploitation, until they can get that, the marginalisation of the people, they cannot address. Mm. But uh, the South Africans have been called in. Others have been called in. We do have this SADC uh, organ on uh, peace and uh, security, but SADC simply hasn't got the means to put in a force. Now, Americans have said they've sent in some specialists to do some training, but that hasn't worked thus far. Certainly, the Mozambicans are quite unable uh, to contain this. So what happened in Palma was uh, there was this attack. Uh, some analysts get very angry when, they, when we say that the uh, jihadis overtook it. That doesn't seem to be the case. A number of South Africans were involved. In, I understand 43 have been found now or are all accounted for. One, Adrian Nell was killed. Yes. Now, the killing of a national means that South Africa is going to have to have a more muscular response. But does that mean 
that we will band together with other Africans. Uh, and even, I said, SADC's not able to do it. Not even the African Union is, because putting boots on the ground costs a lot of moolah. Yeah. And we don't have that. We don't have it South Africa, we don't have it as SADC, and we don't have it as the African Union. So if they're going to put in uh, troops, then we're going to have to get that money from the United Nations in all likelihood. And of course, the, the other embarrassing thing about this is that if we did send our military there, it might even be worse for us, not better, because they'd see how awful our military were, and they'd, they'd look at us and go, well, that's a prize worth taking. Um, I, I saw... Uh, you know, I, I saw some of the newspaper editors saying um, over the weekend that they didn't think it was a good idea for us to be too gung-ho here either. No, absolutely. As occurred shortly after uh, uh, democracy in Lesotho, yeah. you know, when we were shown to be effectively a, a, a rabble at that point. Well, clearly our military is a little better now. But things like, you know, our uh, HIV uh, pr- proportion of troops that are, are suffering from HIV, the number for every pair of boots you put on the ground, you have to have something like 11 back home. And we simply don't have those numbers. Sure. We can't do it. We, we cannot be a peacekeeping force. We can send some troops to certain trouble spots in Africa. We have done it. But the point is, as soon as Africa, uh, South Africa became uh, democratic South Africa, mm-hmm. many, many Africans said, ah, here we go. These are the guys with the loot. They can help us out. Right. You know, uh, uh, something like 75% of United Nations peacekeeping operations, military peacekeeping operations, involve Africa. Right. So they need peacekeepers all over the place. And right now on our border, we have this very, very serious problem, uh, and which is growing. And it's growing because of the increasing support, jihadi support for these people. They claim allegiance to Al-Shabaab, to ISIS, to others, and they are killing Mozambicans in great numbers, in disturbingly great numbers. Something has to be done. We can't do it. What about the African standby force? That hasn't uh, actually eventuated, but it was supposed to have been set up for this purpose, you know, to put in... Uh, uh, troops so, where necessary. JJ, I need to understand here, the, because a lot of people are saying that really the, the, the whole Islamic side of, of this argument is really a convenience for Al-Shabaab or for ISIS, whoever you want to call them, because they're really a criminal organization. They're trying to gain control of oil fields, of gas fields, of, of plunder. And, and really the, the, the jihadi part of it is a convenience, but it is also a, a spreading of of the religion by the sword and and you know very many people are being converted at gunpoint and if not converted killed so the 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 helplessness that so many governments have felt in the face of this is related to both of those things the criminal aspect and to the 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 jihadi aspect of it how do you think mozambique's government are are placed to deal with this i mean we know they're a very weak government they haven't got any money they are in 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 hock to China, as we've discussed many times before. Um, is there anyone who can save them? Well, the, the fact is the jihadis don't really get in until the people are very unhappy. Mm. And when people are unhappy, mm. however you, you look at it, whatever you believe, it's for economic reasons. They are poor, they are being marginalized, and certainly the jihadis step in and exploit that. All over the world that is happening. 
Uh, and uh, in Mozambique, that is the case. As I say, they started out, we're unhappy, we're being marginalized, you've got this gas, we're mm. not feeling the effects of it. That's why they went at things with machetes. So when the uh, jihadis came into the system, there's no doubt that there was an international uh, cabal of people doing that. When With the uh, Niger Delta, we're being exploited, say the people there. We're not getting any benefit from the petrol, the oil, and, and, and the environment is being raked by you. Yep. And that is why the uh, th that has happened there. Now, uh, the, the jihadis haven't managed to get in there to the extent uh, that they have in Mozambique, but certainly uh, Nigeria, which is literally half and half, half Muslim, half Christian, right. uh, has huge problems maintain or, or trying in any way to restrain the uh, jihadi influence, certainly up in the northeast of the country. So, yes, your point about them exploiting it mm. is absolutely germane. They, they are there and they take every opportunity they can to use unhappiness. Now, what in, provoked 12 South Africans to go and uh, uh, fight there for the jihadis? Well, I mean, there's all, all sorts of social reasons for that, I've no doubt. But sure. the fear is with security analysts that the, the South Africans actually fighting for the Islamist terrorists in uh, Syria, for example. Yeah. So why, you know, that they've got drawn in. So they are being they are being recruited and exploited in the same way. I suppose, you know, the, the, this is the Ghislaine Maxwell of of, uh, of political activism. Mm. You know, you, you can get young, impressionable people and persuade them that they've got to go and fight for what they hold true uh, and 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 that is happening and then they return to south africa and that is when you you really have to be frightened of them as occurred of course in in uh, well in many islamic countries around the world when they came when the islamists came back and certainly in algeria was the case they yeah. came back from fighting uh, in Saudi Arabia uh, and 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 in the in the uh, Maghreb part of the world, uh, and uh, and JJ. there there we have them coming back and and bringing Algeria to its knees. JJ, can I, I ask a question? Maybe sure. a simplistic question. Uh, yes. What is the what is the end game for them? You know, right. what is the thing that they purport to be the end game? Well, I mean, they, it's to create uh, an, an Islamic world, to create uh, a Sharia law around the world. But in to, to do that, it's going to cost them a lot of money. And so that is why they get in areas where there is oil, where there is gas, and try to get a hand on the uh, those reserves to make their f uh, fight or to uh, to finance their their battle for uh, uh for a Sharia so it's in fact to finance the battle and not the other way around. They're Correct. not trying to get at get at the resources and the money through the uh, uh, method of you know recruitment or whatever it is. Sort of six of one and half a dozen of the others. Yeah. You know, I've, I haven't heard. I have to say of people of uh, Sharia fighters, jihadi fighters. Uh, making money and then going off and buying stretch mm. limos. Yeah. They keep fighting. So I would, I would think it's, uh, assume it's the first part of it. They, uh, they're there to finance their struggle for uh, Sharia around the world. It's an end justifies the means kind of situation. So, JJ, can we just quickly turn our attention, because I know we've got only a little bit of time here, to the Suez 
because we've, we've all heard about this huge uh, problem with this ship that we were joking about earlier that's blocked the Suez Canal. Um, just tell us what the political implications of this might be, because you, you're, a, you're an expert on Africa, and we, we all kind of forget that Egypt is part of Africa and that that Suez Canal is a hugely important trade route. Um, what do you think might happen as a result of this, this mishap? And, and what are the implications for countries like Egypt and, and, and even others in, in that part of Africa, Somalia and Ethiopia and so on? Well, it was convenient for Egypt to forget they were part of Africa. They were happy to do it. <laughs> Egypt is very much part of Africa, but it gets more, for example, from America in terms of aid than the whole of Africa put together. Yeah. So Egypt is a very special case, and the Suez is the most special of cases. The Ever Given is now being sailed to the bitter lake, it's called. It's, a, it's an offshoot of the Suez Canal. Uh, I went to the reopening of that canal in 2015. The Egyptians invited me mm-hmm. when they built, when they widened it. Sadly, they didn't widen it at the point uh, that uh, the, uh, the Evergreen attempted a U-turn or whatever it did. I don't know. You've seen that cartoon with the, the two balloon captions coming out. Bet you can't do a U-turn in the Suez Canal. <laughs> and the other one says, hold my beer. <laughs> but anyway, this has cost, this has cost something like 225 million rands a day, the blockage. The, the, there are ships sailing down from the north already. Uh, and, and with the, with the ever given out of the way while they tested for damage, uh, the, the canal is effectively unblocked. Uh, there are about 400 ships waiting to go through it. Billions and billions and billions. 10% of the world's maritime traffic uh, goes through there. And, of course, sure. 90% of goods are moved by uh, sea in the world. Now, what happens is uh, uh, the, the very organizations we've just been talking about must be looking at, at that, rubbing their hands and thinking, aha, here's an opportunity. If they can block the Suez Canal, uh, then uh, you can imagine the, the, the havoc they could wreak. Yeah. So security-wise, Egypt is going to have to boost, bolster its security there, and the world is going to have to help with that. In terms of salvage, they didn't have the big tugs. They used 40 huge tugs to move that boat. They didn't have them to hand. They're going to have to have standby uh, salvage operations to prevent or to avoid or obviate this kind of problem ever recurring. Uh, the thing is now, uh, the, the world is going to have to look at uh, all the maritime problems facing it and, and, and review them in the light of what has just happened. You know, those ships that went around Africa suddenly have to face the storms on the Cape of Storms, yeah, renamed the Cape of right. Good Hope. Mm-hmm. But worse, those came from the north would have had to go around the Gulf of Guinea, which is the, uh, below Nigeria, which is the worst area for piracy on the high seas. So these are problems that the, the world has to face. But to say we're not going to have the Suez Canal blocked again yeah. is like saying we won't get another pandemic. I think yeah. uh, this is something that has opened the eyes of the security authorities. And certainly, uh, I think we're going to have to do something very special and very radical to avoid this sort of thing happening again. Well, JJ, I'm afraid we're out of time for this morning. I know there was, uh, there was Rwanda on the agenda, and we'll talk about them next time we see you. But thank you very much again for your insights in, in terms of not only what's going on right next door in Mozambique, 
but what has been a, a, a great source of material for, for comedians like Gilly over the last couple of days with this ship got stuck in the Suez. It's good to see you. Thank you, JJ Cornish. This is uh, African Analysis, which is brought to you by the Joburg Business School. Cliffcentral.com.